You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 53 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Today, Leah and I are happy to welcome back to the podcast, Meg Sweeney, a project manager in the NTSB Office of Highway Safety, and for the first time, Sean Curry, a motor carrier factors investigator in our Office of Highway Safety, to talk about the recent investigation into a school bus collision with a service truck that happened in Decatur, Tennessee on October 27th, 2020. Welcome back, Meg, and welcome for the first time, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. As we uh, get into the podcast, we'll be talking about this crash. But before we do, we always uh, offer our guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their background on how they arrived at the NTSB. And since, Meg, you have been on the podcast before, I'm going to ask you to give just a brief overview um, of your background, and then we'll pivot to Sean. Sure. Um, I first came to the NTSB, and I started off in our safety studies division, uh, in the Office of Research and Engineering. And, and there I examined child restraint safety, multi-passenger van safety, and operator fatigue. Um, a couple, few years after that, I went over to the Bureau of Transportation Statistics and the Department of Tra- Transportation and studied the travel patterns and mobility issues of people with disabilities. And then I returned back to the NTSB, moved to the Office of Highway Safety to work on crash investigations. And Meg, what's your educational background? I can't recall. I have a a PhD in applied experimental psychology. Great. Thank you. And Sean, this is your first time on the podcast. Will you give us a background on uh, your education, your experience, and what brought you to the NTSB and what you do here, please? Sure. Uh, I've been with the NTSB just just had my anniversary the other day. So I'm uh, working on year number eight. Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Prior to coming to the board, I worked for the state police. Well, I was an Air Force veteran. uh, And then I worked for the state police in Maine. I retired from there in 2015, which seems like just the other day, but this is really (laughs) a long time ago when you look at it. Uh, With the state police, I did had a lot of different roles, incident management, accident reconstruction, commercial vehicle enforcement, um, did a lot of program management things before I came to the board. And I was able to, one of the reasons I wanted to come to the board is to kind of showcase all the things that I had learned in my previous life. But that's a little bit about me. Great. And you are a highway factors investigation? Nope. Or no, I'm a mo- motor Sorry. carrier factors motor investigator. Carrier. Okay. So I look, at right. the bi- I look at the business end and the safety management practices of usually company, bu- truck and bus companies to look at their safety culture. Great, and we will get into that a little bit more. This month, we completed our investigation into the October 27th, 2020 collision between a service utility truck and a school bus in Decatur, Tennessee. Sean, would you summarize the events of this crash and what was determined to be the probable cause? Sure, Um, like you said, back in October 27th and 2020, at about 3.45 in the afternoon uh, in a small town, called Decatur, which is in Mix County, Tennessee. It's about 30 miles north of Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a two axle Freightliner service utility truck, basically a a small truck with a crane on the back of it that was used Mm -hmm. by one of the local electrical companies to service their trucks that will service the power line. That was uh, 
traveling northbound on State Route 58, uh, which is a two-lane road, 55 mile an hour speed limit. The school bus was traveling southbound, coming from the school that was just up the street, bringing kids to their houses. Uh, it was going about 46 to 48 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. The driver of the truck uh, looked in his rearview mirror at a deputy sheriff that had pulled out from another road. He was concerned, well, not concerned, but he was curious as to what the deputy was doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like we all are when the police pull out behind us. Right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he drifted off the right side of the road into the ditch uh, and then came back onto the roadway almost sideways and was struck by the bus. Um, there were 35 people involved in the crash. There were 33 students on the bus and the bus driver and then the one driver of the truck. Um, unfortunately, the school bus driver and a little girl that was in the school bus were killed. Uh, there were four serious injuries. Uh, 10 minor injuries and 18 kids on the bus were either not injured or unknown injuries because they didn't report them or they didn't show up at the hospital. Uh, and the, the driver of the truck was not injured. So that, what, that's a quick summary of what happened. What was the, what were the factors that impacted the decision for the NTSB to launch to this crash? Well, this was, Anytime you deal with kids, obviously, we, we want to get as much information as we can to keep the kids sure. safe. Um, this was right in the middle or the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Tennessee, it was an on-again, off-again investigation because of the, the COVID rate was high, mm-hmm. fluctuated from day to day. So one day we'd be able to go out and work, and the next day we had to do things remotely. So it was a little difficult. But um the director of the Office of Highway, Dr. Malloy, is the one who ultimately decides what we go on. Uh, we try to look at cases that have either a national impact or something that we can look at um, to determine what happens so we can prevent it from happening again. Obviously, sure. anytime you know you put your kids on the school bus and expect them to go to school and come home safely, mm-hmm. that's something we want to ensure happens. So we want to look at those to ensure that you know we can find the cause and try to prevent it from happening again. Right. And Sean, can you, can you um, let us know what, what did we should determine the probable cause to be of this crash? The probable cause of the Decatur, Tennessee crash was a service truck driver's inattention to the forward roadway due to his looking at the sheriff's vehicle behind him, which resulted in his failure to keep the truck on the roadway. Contributing to the cause of the crash with the non-recoverable and critical force slopes and the pavement edge drop off along the state highway, which prevented the truck driver from safely returning the truck to the roadway in a controlled manner. Contributing to the severity of the crash was the lack of passenger lap and shoulder belts on the school bus and the unsafe seating positions by some of the students. Meg, during, um, during this investigation and, and clearly from the, the probable cause where we have a couple of contributing factors, um, we identified a few safety issues in this investigation, inadequate roadway design, lane departure warning and prevention systems for heavy vehicles and occupant protection. Can you talk a little bit about um, those safety issues? Sure. So we'll start off with um, the inadequate roadway design. And this deals with the characteristics of that roadway um, between the drop-off between the shoulder and the grassy slope, along with the angle of that grassy slope. Those characteristics made it difficult for the truck driver uh, to return back to the road when he dropped off and sure. maintain control of his vehicle as he was returning back to the roadway. Mm-hmm. The second issue we identified was the need for 
uh, lane departure warning systems and lane departure prevention systems on heavy vehicles. Um, this truck wasn't equipped with this technology. And so we explored some of the um, ways that these warning systems and prevention systems may have prevented this crash. Okay. And by priming the crash, keeping him on his lane and within his travel lane. Sure. And, and then the third issue was, as you noted, the lack of occupant protection. Um, there were no seatbelts on this school bus for the passengers. Um, and as we know, passenger lap shoulder belts enhance the protection for children on a school bus. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Meg, um, I know that we said, you know, occupant protection was was a contributing factor here, but um, we know that outside of lap and shoulder belts, there is actually occupant protection on the school bus. Can you just talk a little bit about what that protection is um, for anybody that might not be familiar? Mm-hmm. So this was a large school bus. It was a transit style or a flat front school bus, sometimes also referred to as a type D. It was a large bus. I think the total capacity was about 78 passengers on the school bus and had a gross vehicle weight rating or kind of like a maximum rating uh, weight load of 33,000 pounds. So it puts it in that large school bus category. There are no requirements for lap or lap shoulder belts on these large school buses. Mm-hmm. Instead, the protection is offered through a, a concept called compartmentalization. And it's a passive form of protection because the occupant isn't required to do anything. Um, the protection is offered um, in a compartment. So we have high back seats, high energy um, absorbing back seats, and it forms that compartment around the passenger, keeps them um, within their seating compartment uh, mm-hmm. during breaking or impact in a crash. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Meg. Meg, we'd like to dig a little bit deeper into these safety issues. Um, speaking of occupant protection, we know that overall, generally, school buses are one of the safest vehicles on the roadways. And while they are often rare, This crash shows that when crashes do happen involving school buses, compartmentalization alone does not always prevent injuries and deaths. Um, What types of injuries did the students on board in this crash experience and sustain? Uh, As Sean mentioned, there were 33 students and the driver on the bus at the time of the crash. Um, The driver and the student sitting behind the driver in the window seat fatally injured. Mm -hmm. There were four students um, who were seriously injured. These four students were in the first three rows of the passenger seating. And we also identified them, um, three of them, as being what we considered out of position seating. Um, And as I think also mentioned, the remaining children sustained either minor um, or no injury, or we didn't know the injury level because they weren't sent to the hospital. Can you talk a little bit about what, a, what out of position uh, means? Happy to. Um, so we were very fortunate. The school bus had inward facing cameras on it and we were able to view that video footage to determine uh, where the passengers were seated and how they were seated. And one of the things we identified is that several of the students were in these out of positions positions. Um, they weren't, instead of being seated forward facing, um, feet on the floor, 
the out-of-position students were in positions where they might have been kneeling in the seat, standing in sure. their seat compartment, facing backwards, um, or even sitting in the seat facing the aisle. So they were mm-hmm. not within that compartment area sure. that's formed with the um, high back seats. Which, you know, just as a as a sidebar uh, mention is that one thing that this, the lap and shoulder belts can do is keep those students not only just in their seats, but in the right seating position. I'm sure um, anyone who has ever seen children on a school bus know that they are <laughs> not uh, always sitting with their bottoms on their seat, backs against the backs of the seat, uh, facing forward. Um, more often than not, I would guess that they're that the children are in these out of position uh spots. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the, the lap, uh, the lap shoulder belts on a school bus would have protected all the children. The out of position children would not be out of position because they would be seated in their seat with a lap shoulder belt, um, restraining their upper torso. And that keeps that occupant as we've noted several times within the compartment. So that lap shoulder belt would have provided protection to all of the students, enhancing the protection of the compartmentalization. Yeah. At my previous role at NHTSA, I was a school, school transportation program manager on the behavioral safety side. And we would talk a lot about compartmentalization being like an egg carton or an egg crate, egg carton, I guess, um, where, you know, when you have eggs in an egg carton, they are um, pretty safe. They are surrounded by soft um, material where, you know, if they bump up against it, they're not going to, the eggs are not going to shatter. And so we use that analogy and um, coming to the NTSB and learning about the recommendations for the seatbelts on school buses. Um, I kind of took that analogy a step further by saying, you know, by putting lap and shoulder belts on a school bus, it's like closing the egg carton and really securing the eggs from going anywhere outside of the outside of the carton. And I think that that's just a, another reminder to our listeners that, um, you know, when it comes to our recommendation for lap and shoulder belts, it is, uh, it is not because school buses on their own are not safe. The school bus seats, the compartmentalization, it is a, it is like you said, passive protection, but putting that extra layer of protection um, just takes it a step further to keep those children safe on school buses. In this crash, Meg, you had mentioned that um, the service truck didn't have um, safety technology, lane, lane departure warning or lane uh, keeping technology on it. How how might that technology have prevented this crash from happening had the truck been equipped with it? So the question is, how might vehicle safety technology have prevented this crash? And, you know, we looked at uh, lane keeping assist and automatic emergency braking. Um, the lane keeping assist may have prevented this crash. Uh, it may have warned the driver that he was about to depart the road, giving sure. him time to react. Um, unfortunately, uh, with this very narrow shoulder of a road or mm-hmm. lack of shoulder of a road, I should say, um, it would have been really quick. Um, he would have had to have really fast reaction time to receive the warning and then react and, and prevent from going off the edge of the road. So talking about the road design, um, what road design changes could have prevented this crash? Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about um, what recommendations we may have made for road design 
on this crash? Um, so I guess I'll look at your question and dissect it a little bit. What road design <laughs> changes could have prevented? Uh, I'll change that to what road design changes have been implemented because mm, um, the state of Tennessee had already had this section of roadway in its um, work plan to improve the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was last September. So just a few, actually, I think it was the end of August. Uh, we went out, I went out cause it's literally 35 minutes from my house and I drive that way occasionally. And you could see where they re- had rebuilt the road. They, they widened the shoulder. Um, they made the ditch less shallow. They made the ditch more shallow, uh, sure. as opposed to such a, you know, an unrecoverable V of a ditch. They made it more mm-hmm. of a, a traditional recoverable ditch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also put in some stone, um, They put in some reinforcement on the edge of the road to prevent it from crumbling and they improved the, uh, the markings. But speaking of the road design plans and, you know, the, the roadway, uh, the, you know, the DOT sets out their plans for highway improvements, roadway safety infrastructure years and years and years in advance. You know, just Correct. because it's on the plan doesn't mean that it will be get fixed in the next year or two years. It could be more of a five to 10 year plan. Correct. I, th- I think the, the challenge that all municipalities or states or even the federal government uh, run into is, you know, there's all, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs work. Mm. There's, a, there's only a certain pot of money for that. So they have to prioritize, um, you know, there's routine maintenance and then there's emergency maintenance. Um, yeah. Traditionally, I think it's, you know, I'm trying to think back to my days in Maine, it's like a five-year plan they have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they start with the best intentions and sometimes, what was last on the list becomes first on the list because there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say in this case, I was, I was happy that, you know, it was already in the plan. It was already in the works. Mm-hmm. It had already gone out to be vetted or bid upon uh, and they were able to complete it actually before our report came out, which was great. Um, you know, those safety improvements have already been made and we don't have to wait for them to put it in the next five-year plan. Sure. It also, and again, this kind of like steers us into a territory of, you know, discussing and uh, discussing the safe system approach and how safe roads is a part of the safe system and how communities need to make sure that they are looking at all five pillars of the safe system, ensuring that uh, they are doing everything that they can to make sure that their system is the safest it can be. Meg, one of the... um safety issues that that was identified in the investigation not as a problem but something that was helpful to to the investigative process was something that you mentioned before which was the onboard video event recorder so you were able to to see in this case what the students were doing in their positions um you know leading up to the crash and how that might have contributed to uh to their injury severity um was there any recording device on the um, the utility vehicle, and how did um, the presence of any of the technologies really help you with the investigation? So there was there were no cameras on the um, surface utility truck, but the the school bus had three or four cameras inside for um, facing the children on the school bus. We were able to identify who where they were sitting. Um, and how they were sitting, as I mentioned. 
Um, there was also a forward-facing camera on the school bus, and that was critical to the investigation because uh, our video recorder specialists were able to use that information to estimate the speed of the truck at the time of the crash, mm. which was, um, Sean, I think it was 50, about 52 miles per hour. And um, just to note that neither vehicle was speeding in this crash. I, uh, sure. There was 55 miles per hour um, for the speed limit. So neither vehicle was speeding. Um, and it was just when that truck turned over and the bus went into the side of it. Sure. I'll follow up a little bit of what Meg said. Yeah, the uh, the fact that the uh, school bus had a forward-looking video, um, you know, the picture's worth a thousand words, but a video in, in our, our line of work is priceless. Uh, we're able to determine not only the speed of the, the truck, uh, but we're also able to determine the speed of the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're able to see exactly what happened pre-impact from the truck. Um, and we're able to get the seating position of the children. And that really probably doesn't seem like a big deal, but for our survival factors investigators who mm-hmm. have to go back and build a seating chart so you can determine who was where and, and what was the mechanism of, in, mechanism of injury, sure. uh, that's huge. And things, it, as you can imagine, after a crash or during a crash, things are a little chaotic. They're not gonna remember where they sat. Yeah. Uh, they're not gonna be able to communicate you know, how they were seated. Um, This takes all that guesswork and all that investigative effort and allows us to take our time and focus on other things. So it gives us that framework. So we're able to move on and look at other avenues as as opposed to spending a week trying to figure out where, you know, student A was seated and who was next to student A and were they in row six or were they in row eight? And, you know, uh, it takes all that, um, all those unknowns and just, and wipes them off the board. And as far as the pre-impact, um, if you don't have a video, there's a lot of interpretation that has to happen of roadway marks and everything else. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that evidence is there and, and we have people that can do that. But when you actually have a video that shows the exact um, actions of the, the vehicle and the way, you know, the trajectory of it and everything else, right. I mean, that's, that's priceless. And we, we see a lot of videos now, um, you know, cars, everybody has their GoPro or whatever they have. Um, there's security videos. We, we try to use all that. We try to leverage all that information and uh, to give us the best picture of what happened. Right. Sure. I know that one of the, one of the reasons that we talk about video technology and that recorder technology um, as being certainly an investigative tool, but also um, as we're talking about ways to prevent crashes, using that as a way to identify, like we said, you know, you have students that now you can see might be out of position and how a school district or parents might be able to use that information to, to talk to their kids about being properly seated. But Sean, from the motor carrier factors side too, um, you know, how beneficial is, is that technology and in, in using it proactively? Yeah. When, when the, you know, when the technology first came out, especially the inward looking videos at drivers, there was a lot of hesitancy. It's become more and more accepted uh, as like a coaching tool. So if there's an incident, they can look at the inward facing video and see exactly what the driver was doing, you know, or, uh, and they can use that to coach drivers. Um, they can use it as, you know, 
one of the things that the, the, the Meigs County school system is doing is uh, they're looking at these videos more since this crash for mm-hmm. the seating position issues and, and able to determine that, you know, the student is or is not conforming to their code of conduct and able to coach them to, you know, make them safer. Uh, they, they started doing that before the report came out. So speaking of the, uh, the video recorders and recommendations we've made, can you talk a little bit more about the new or reiterated safety recommendations that came out of this investigation and how, if implemented, they will improve safety? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Sean did a, a nice summary there in saying, explaining how um, these video cameras can be used for training or coaching purposes. And that ex- is exactly what we recommended in our new recommendation. Um, to the school bus organizations, and that's the um, National Association for Pupil Transportation, the National Association of State Directors of Pupil Transportation Services, and the National School Transportation Association. Um, Mm -hmm. We asked those three organizations um, to tell their members that this information from the video recorders can Mm -hmm. be used periodically, uh, to review it periodically and use that information that they find to help coach people or train their students and their drivers on on the proper way to seat, sit in a bus seat and to um, use a lap shoulder belt if it's if it's available. Um, but the second side of video cameras are um, how they can be used for the crash investigation process. Mm-hmm. And we reiterated a recommendation that was issued earlier in um, 2022 out of our Mount Pleasant report, a multi-vehicle crash up on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, um, asked NHTSA to require cameras uh, or event data, but mm-hmm. require buses and uh, trucks to be equipped with onboard video event recorders. I will just also want to mention that a very similar rec was issued back in 2015 to the school bus organizations. That mm-hmm. recommendation in 2015 from 2015 was closed acceptable action for the school bus organizations because of the positive steps they took to promote video event recorders on school buses. Great. And can you talk a little bit more um, about the uh, requirement of lap and shoulder belts for all passenger seating positions in school buses? Sure. So this was also uh, two reiterated recs, one to the states that have no requirements to um, enact legislation to require lap shoulder belts on new large school buses. And then a second um, sister recommendation to some of the states that already had recommendations for uh, lap belts. And we mm-hmm. asked them to amend their rec- uh, regulations to use, ha- um, amend their reg- regulations for lap shoulder belts. Um, as we've noted several times, you know, those lap shoulder belts just enhance the compartmentalization in terms of protecting the occupants. And um, our last recommendation talks about crash causation and goes to that issue. And that was the requirement um, asking NHTSA to require uh, lane departure prevention systems on large vehicles. That The lane departure prevention was the initial event that started this whole crash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, had that not happened, had we been able to prevent that, maybe we wouldn't be sit- sitting here right now discussing this issue. 
Sure. Sure. Meg, um, like you said, we you reiterated um, our recommendation to um, several states to require lap and shoulder belts. Um, we reiterated a 2018 recommendation, but this is not, <laughs> 2018 was not the first time that NTSB started talking about lap and shoulder belts. Uh, we've actually talked about it for decades. I think at this point, it's been a couple of them now. I know as long as I've been at NTSB, we've been talking about seatbelts on school buses. And I know your your early work and your work continues in that space. What has been the challenges with, with getting lap and shoulder belt technology on school buses? Well, right now, I think there's about nine states that, that have some form of <laughs> restraint um, requirement. Uh, sure. I think three of them, I think it's New York, Florida, and Arkansas are still a restraint and not a lap shoulder belt. So we are making progress. Um, we had legislation introduced in Tennessee for lap shoulder belts, but it didn't pass. I think sometimes there's, um, you know, it's, it, frankly, it could be a cost issue. Uh, on a large bus, you could be talking an additional $10,000 for the addition of the lap shoulder belts. Um, but one of the things that Tennessee did that was a little bit interesting, I think, was um, even though they didn't require uh, lap shoulder belts on their school buses, they set aside $3 million into a grant money fund uh, where school districts, when purchasing their school buses, could request money from this funding uh, to be reimbursed for the lap shoulder belts on their school buses. Mm-hmm. So that, that program has been fairly active um, in term, and for the school districts uh, have been using it. Sure. And just a reminder for our listeners uh, who may be involved in the school transportation industry, um, if you are in a place of purchasing new vehicles, to uh, definitely uh, take take into consideration, and we strongly recommend that you um, install or or select school buses that have the lap and shoulder belts um, for your for your students. And and Leah, the other thing is we don't change out our school buses every day, right? Right. The school bus right. lasts their their life is about fifteen years, mm-hmm. so we have to slowly do the um, introduce the lap shoulder belt. Um, and as we've mentioned several times, that compartmentalization does provide safety. But mm-hmm. even more importantly is that school bus crashes are, are relatively rare events. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, we're not seeing children being injured in school bus crashes. And, and those children that are injured in, a, in what we call school bus crash are often occupants of a different vehicle, mm-hmm. not occupants of the school bus. Yeah, that's a good point. We just want to always uh, remind everyone that um, it is safest for a child to get to and from school on a school bus than in a passenger vehicle. So thank you for for raising that point. We are getting towards the end of our podcast. Are there any other takeaways that you two would like to share with our audience? I'll just put in the reminder one more time that school buses are a safe form of transportation and uh, that we We've made issues in the school bus area uh, over the years, and requiring lap shoulder belts is one more step in that direction. Thanks, Meg. Sean? You know, I think Meg summed it up quite well. Um, You know, they are very safe. We could always make them safer. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And hopefully these recommendations we've made will do that. Yeah. Thanks. Stephanie, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today? I do. I do. Uh, you had, Leah, you mentioned the safe system approach, and we know that um, when it comes to road safety, NTSB advocates for the implementation of a safe system approach. And I think this crash um, is a perfect example of that layering of safety um, mm -hmm. that we see, you know, different opportunities um, from the vehicles that were involved to the, to the technology that's available to um, the occupant protection, that there were there were definitely opportunities to invest in safety in different areas and just would encourage, um, you know, our listeners and anyone in the school transportation space to, to look at what we identified um, to make those safety investments. Thanks, Steph. And I just want to wrap up by thanking Meg and Sean for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a great conversation with a lot of really helpful information. Uh, I know we have a lot of uh, school bus folks out there that are listening and are always paying attention to the investigations that, that we do involving school buses and people transportation, as well as truck um, fleet owners, et cetera. So thank you again for the work that you do. And uh, we hope that your recommendations do get implemented um, across the board, both in the, the trucking world as well as the school transportation world. I want to thank Stephanie for being my awesome co-host. And finally, thank James Anderson for being the amazing producer that he is. And we will speak to you at the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye.